Hey there. Welcome to 7th Heaven, a lesbian recap. I'm Lindsay, and I'm joined by my co-host and real-life partner, Carling. We're diving into the 90s hit drama through today's lens. Get ready for our off-the-cuff commentary and peeling back the layers of the Camden family. We'll tackle everything from family rules, life lessons, and 90s fashion. Join us every week for a light-hearted queer perspective and a trip down memory lane. Whether you're a die-hard fan or new to the show, this recap is for you. So find us anywhere you get your podcasts at 7th Heaven, a lesbian recap. I mean, within three hours of birth, he had already had his first major surgical intervention. Michelle. Hey, Carling. Happy day. Happy day. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. Yeah. I'm back in the office more full time. I know. That's super lame. (sighs) I'm sorry. I mean, it's good. Like, it's fine. I think it's going to be short lived because COVID is ravaging Alberta. No. (laughs) Silly. No, it's not. Not according to our lovely government. Oh, goodness. Um, So it's like, on one hand, I'm happy because I like the routine. I like seeing people. Mm -hmm. But, like, now I have to, like, wear pants. I know. That's a Wear shoes that aren't flip-flops. I never got to work from home, but I don't think that I would be, uh, I don't think I'd make a graceful transition back to work. Yeah, like it's just I got to pack food instead of just yeah. getting up and getting something. Yeah. There's just a lot more to consider. And you can't watch TV. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. Every now and then I'd have it on in the background to block out noise, like if the dogs were barking at yeah. things. But yeah. yeah, man, I don't know. But Crazy. anyway, yeah. How was your weekend? I'm busy. Did my typical like reorganizing, rearranging things. Yeah. Because I think that's going to fix my life. Yeah. Um, and then I just dropped off my daughter at camp yeah. for the week. So that's she's so gone to uh, camp with her friend. And they're going to be gone until Friday. Little nugget. And I she's know. nine. Nine, almost ten. And it's her first sleepaway camp. I know. They're super excited, though. I never went to sleepaway camp. No. I went to brownie camp when I was little, and I cried. <laughs> the only thing I remember about it was the s'mores. <laughs> I want to see a picture of you in a brownie outfit. Oh, I have I have one. I'll find it for you. Okay, because that's cute. <laughs> yeah, that's exciting, though. I think she's going to be, like, nervous and scared, but yeah. I think it'll be really good for her. I think it's good because her uh, bestie and her are in the same cabin. Yeah. And um, they're both kind of shy, so I think... I don't know. They'll they'll be okay though. Yeah, they have each they're other. They have a lot of fun, and they their bunks are right next to each other. I know, and their little counselors in their room are like super. Like how old are the counselors? Mm, I would say they're probably at least over eighteen. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. I would say they're probably nineteen or twenty. I not that I can really judge people's ages anymore. Now that I'm yeah. old, they're probably like sixteen. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I would hate to have to sleep in the same room as the kids, though. Yeah. Like, yeah, that would be Like, give me my own room next door. <laughs> but they're just right in the middle of the room. Yeah, they're right in the middle. I hate that. Yeah. Um, but they're cute, though. Like, I guess they're best friends, and they oh. did, like, three years of camp together, too. Oh. So, yeah, it's pretty That's cute. That's really cute. Yeah. 
so that's that nice. was a lot of fun how was your weekend it was really busy mm-hmm. but good i went to golden bc with Lindsay's family and i guess they call it cousins christmas well no they call it cousins camping but it's like these two families who are best friends and some of the kids are married to each other <laughs> And then they all have kids. It's like, I'm not going to break down the family tree. There's a lot of people. But there was like 22 people and a little tiny dog named George Michael. And he, and they, like, everybody was so nice. That's awesome. Including George Michael. (laughs) Yeah. So there was like, I think, eight or 10 kids. And then like, I don't know, 10 or 12 adults. Crazy. And we rented like a big house and then a couple people had campers that just camped like right in the parking, like in the same, yeah, in the yard. And yeah, there was a hot tub and we played Yardsy. Yardsy? I am not good at it. No? And we, there was bocce ball. I didn't play that. I don't know what that is. And yeah, it was good. We like all the adults got together and did, we split into two teams and did a theme night Ah. and we had to do the dinner for each like one night Mm -hmm. and so our theme was christmas and so we chose christmas morning breakfast so we did that on the friday for dinner and everybody got a little stocking we had a christmas tree up we had an inflatable snowman and then the next day the other team's theme was birthday party okay so we all got like kazoos and little treat bags and uh, really there was like appetizers and like kebabs and barbecue and like it was really good oh that's awesome yeah that's it so was fun. really nice um what's also really exciting is we're going to film a little instagram story after this um because one of our listeners jordan mailed us something all the way from the uk we have our first ever fan mail like omg who are it. we my God, and we were featured in a news article. We were. And so there's a brand new newspaper, uh, well, not digital newspaper, yeah. I guess. Yeah, In Calgary called The Citizen. And we got one of, the, their journalist reached out. I've known her for a while. And yeah. she was like, I really love your podcast. I've been following and I really want to feature you guys. So we got like a little. It was so cool. So cute. Yeah. So we're in a newspaper article. You can find it online. Yeah. Uh, a Calgary citizen. Yeah. And yeah, there's just a little write up about us and our friendship and what we do and the podcast. And I'm like, stop oh, it. Was exciting. Uh, God. Look at us. Oh. Anyways. Okay. Um, Today, we're talking with Amy. Yes. Love Amy. So, like, I want to have backyard drinks with her. Absolutely. And meet her kids and wife. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we talk to her, we find all of, we find out about her little kiddo, Artie. Cutest freaking <laughs> like, name so ever. So cute. So yeah, I don't know. Let us know what you think. All right. Enjoy. Bye. Bye. Hello, Amy. Hi guys. How are you? Oh, I'm just ducky. How are you? Oh, ducky. I like it. Um, We're how, good. How's life up in Edmonton? Oh, you know, smoky with yeah. all the forest fires and life with kids means I never sleep. So oh, you're just tired and congested. You betcha. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's fair. Michelle uh, is living on like almost no sleep herself because of kids. Yeah, I had three children in my bed last night, so I went to the couch and then couldn't go to sleep. So it was good times. Hashtag blessings. Oh, yeah. yes. <laughs> Bless this mess. Absolutely. <laughs> um. Wow, that's great. Yeah, it is really smoky with these forest fires everywhere. It's awful. And I hate that, you know, the world is like on fire and breaking apart right now. It's yeah, I know. Does it's not, not sit well. <laughs> no, it's not the best feeling. But mm-hmm. here we are to talk about other traumatic things. <laughs> um, well, we're super excited to chat with you today. Um, you do a lot of advocacy work and just like your platform is about, uh, well, your life, but having a kiddo with congenital heart defect. Yeah, congenital heart defects is like... Um, the heart was shaped differently. Congenital means uh, formed at birth, but congenital heart disease and congenital heart defects are kind of used synonymously, but the disease itself is something that's wrong with the heart from birth, but defects are part of that. So they kind of work hand in hand. Well, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us like a little bit about you, about your family, and then we'll get into the story. Sure. Uh, My name is Amy Porter. I am a queer mom of two kids. My wife and I have been together for 12 years and married for seven. Yeah, we're pretty cute. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, my eldest is Frankie. She is four years old and is way too smart for her own good. (laughs) I love her name. Yeah, her name's Francesca, but we we give her the choice Frankie. And I mean, if she grows up and wants to be a little old woman, she can call herself Fran. Yeah, that's true. There's so many options. (laughs) Yeah, versatility is what we're all about. Oh, so cute. And then our youngest, Artie, is... He just had his first birthday. Oh, those are really cute names. Arturo and Francesca. Apparently, we're on an Italian train. Who knows? Yeah, Yeah. that's great. I love that. Are they family names or? (laughs) Not at all. But we like to pretend that uh, the donor was Italian. So. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's perfect. I love that. Yeah, just throw it all back to him. The milkman. Um, yeah. There you go. <laughs> so that's our family. We have a dog and a cat. Um, my wife and I met at band camp when we were teenagers. <laughs> oh, I actually, OG. I was trying to recall when we actually met and I, cause we never remember. I think it was somewhere around 2003 and I was like, hold on a minute. I can actually, I can tell them that we met at the turn of the century. Oh, <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> That's really cute. We are so old. So Oh my goodness. She That's plays great. the tuba and I play an instrument that nobody knows about called the euphonium. Oh. oh what I is know. a euphonium? It's like a tuba but smaller and I will advocate that it's better. Okay. Uh-huh. And what does your wife say about that? Uh, well, she thinks that it's her tuba that just basically went in the dryer. So, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so at the time, like I didn't know that I was queer. Um, she came out like the year later because uh, we went to band camp, and it was a summer sleepaway band camp in Red Deer. So, like a oh. big thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because we're mega nerds. Yeah, we sat beside each other in band camps like every year after that. And then we went to university together, uh, went to the music program and continued to sit beside each other in ensembles for years. And then I played a very slow con and won her over with very bad, (laughs) 
but creative musical lyrics for songs that we made up about a concrete apple. So, oh, that's so cute. We're going to need to add that to our show notes. Yeah, just like a little <laughs> rendition of one of your songs. <laughs> we have a whole, like, I think we did like six different songs and recorded them together. So, we have this little oh, album awesome. of cute little nonsensical things. That's really funny. Yeah, so I have degrees in music and education, and I've been teaching for the last 10 years. Um, I've taught ages 0 to 18. Wow. Um, Yeah, I was a substitute teacher for a while, and then I moved on to early childhood education, uh, working in daycares. Yeah, so I've been doing early childhood education, and before COVID, I was actually selected to do a master's at UBC uh, focusing on early childhood education for sustainability. So how to teach sustainability to our youngest members of society. But, you know, COVID and babies and life exploded, and I don't have the money to do it right now. So one day, hopefully I can pursue that again, but not at this point in time. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, good for you. That's great. And so Frankie, is, was she born like, like typical healthy? Yeah. Um, she, she was fine. Uh, she was a week late, but she showed up and pooped in utero ahead of time. So we had the oh, NICU no. unit show up ahead of time or beforehand and made sure that she was fine. And she yeah. was, but yeah, she was a, a normal pregnancy before that one. Um, I actually had a miscarriage before her. There's this recurring theme that I've been noticing is that there's just some things you don't know until you know, you know? Yeah. You know? (laughs) And so, you know, you don't realize that one in four pregnancies end in a miscarriage until Mm -hmm. you have one. And then you, for myself, I, I cope with a lot of stress and trauma with research. Okay. And I dive into every rabbit hole known to man to try to figure out answers because I figure if I know more then it can't be as scary as I think it is yeah I've experienced that as well I've experienced three losses and it is something that you don't realize and um until it's happening to you and then you talk to other people and you see how many people have experienced the same thing yeah it's pretty crazy yeah I mean for four is a lot yeah it is it is. It's quite common. And I I think it, it absolutely needs to be shared more often so that you have a bigger support network when it when or if it does happen to you. Absolutely. I mean, that was that we my wife and I went through our whole fertility process pretty easily. I, we had to be treated the same as an or infertile couple because right. we went through uh-huh. a fertility clinic um, mm-hmm. for our first round. Actually, with our daughter, we went to the fertility clinic in Calgary. Oh, wow. OK. The waiting time was far less. Uh, in Edmonton, the wait time, I think, was 12 to 18 months. And for Calgary, it was four to six months. Oh, wow. Wow. So, yeah. There's only one clinic in Edmonton, so things get a bit congested at times. And so was that your same experience with your second, with Artie? <laughs> no. Uh, so Artie is his own special thing. Um <laughs> We decided to do it here in Edmonton because we couldn't travel with a two-year-old to Calgary. right. We needed to transfer everything. In the meantime, we've been in contact with like donor siblings and stuff. And they had said ahead of time. Yeah. So in between all of this, like my wife experienced four deaths within nine months in her family. Oh, Oh, wow. wow. That was awful. 
Yeah. And so we were trying to figure out how to parent um, our newborn while going through an extremely traumatic experience. Yeah, I mean, you have to try to navigate grief and regulate your own emotions while trying to still have a screaming baby in your ear and remain composed for a child who needs you when you all you need is somebody to support you so yeah yeah unfortunately I know that feeling it's very challenging it is yeah I lost my husband uh a year and a half ago or two two and a half years ago I guess yeah so navigating my own grief and my children's grief has been a huge challenge also but going through all of that we kind of realized that having a support for our daughter for when eventually we pass was important to us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we didn't think that we wanted two children, or at least we didn't go into having children knowing that we wanted multiple. Um, But knowing that one day we were going to die and that our daughter would have no one there to support her really Mm -hmm. kind of shook us a bit. So we're like, Oh, well let's, let's try for a second child. And, uh, you know, it couldn't possibly be as stressful as <laughs> already been through it once. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It couldn't possibly be as stressful as having four family members die within nine months. So let's right. do it. Um, wow. Like I said, in the meantime, we found donor siblings and they had mentioned that our collective donor um, had retired. So he was not creating any more samples which means whatever's left in stock around the world, you got to snatch up and purchase <laughs> before you run out. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we, we bought a few extra and we had them shipped to Calgary. And then once they arrived, we're like, okay, well, if we're doing a, doing our second try in Edmonton, we should have them shipped here. So we signed all the paperwork to have them shipped to the fertility clinic here in Edmonton. They said, yeah, it should take about two weeks. Sounds good. So I'm waiting and waiting and it's been like three and a half weeks and I haven't heard from the clinic. What's going on? And then I get a phone call on my lunch break and they said, so you're probably wondering why the medical director of the fertility clinic is calling you. Well, I am now. Yeah. And they said, well, the long and short of it is that we think everything's okay. And I, I'm sorry, what? He said, well, we weren't trying to hide anything from you. We were doing tests and trying to figure out what happened. But the long and short of it is that all three of your sperm samples thawed during transport. Oh, oh no. no. And you, like, you can't freeze thaw, freeze thaw? No. Well, they did. They said, <laughs> oh, well, they? we're not sure uh, how many we're going to get out of this. Um, instead of having three unit samples like were shipped um they had to put them into straws i don't really know why the visual in my head is really bizarre (laughs) because i have no idea what it's supposed to look like but they put them into five straws and they said we're pretty sure we can get one sample maybe two maybe even three out of it three tries and we'll see what's going on but i mean if you sorry to any vegetarians out there but if you take a steak you put it in the freezer bring it out and then you go now nah, i'll eat it later you put it back in it's not oh, going to yeah. be the same they really wanted us to try with that stuff um i got really stressed out because yeah. sperm is a thousand bucks a pop so that's three thousand dollars of delightful juices that i never hope to encounter <laughs> <laughs> we ended up 
my, my cycles were way out of whack. Um, they were like 40 days for two cycles. Eventually get it under control with a double dosage of hormone treatments, which does a lot of really fun things to your mood. And then we go to try. A good sample should have about 5 million swimmers. And ours had 200,000. Oh, no. And a motility of 10%. Oh, wow. So we basically had very fancy water injected into my uterus. (laughs) So did you, like, did you get a discount? (laughs) The thing is, is that the fertility clinic was not liable for anything. We had to sign waivers, signing off on liability. They didn't have to do anything, but they did. Okay. They purchased two more units for us, two fresh units that had never been (laughs) thawed. thawed, yeah. And had them sent to us. So we eventually, we got those. Excellent. Now we can use proper stuff. The numbers were way better. I go in for the second try and I didn't get pregnant. I go in for the last try. Sam didn't even come with me because I'm like, don't even bother. Keep working. (laughs) I'll go. So I go. It's like November have it done, go home. And then about a month later, well, I should probably take a pregnancy test just to make sure. Oh, wow. And it came up positive. Wow. <laughs> and I'm like, Sam, I'm, I'm pregnant. She goes, no, you're not. Um, <laughs> actually I am. So it's like the closest thing to a surprise pregnancy that a lesbian couple can have. Yeah. It was a very delightful surprise. Ah, oh, so you kind of just put it out of your mind thinking like, if it happens, it happens. And then surprise. Yeah. Oh, that's exciting. So I went and at the very end of December, I had the the very first scan. I think baby was seven weeks or something mm-hmm. like that. And you could see the little flicker of the heartbeat. And they're like, yeah, look, there's just one baby. I'm like, oh, thank goodness. One baby's all, <laughs> all I can handle. And we yeah, were that's, very excited. Yeah, that's not a fun ultrasound to have. Trust me. <laughs> I can't even imagine. I mean, props to you, Michelle. It's shocking. <laughs> <laughs> Hat blown off. Yeah. <laughs> so like that happens and we continue on. March of 2020 rolls around and everything gets shut down. I wasn't complaining because I was just getting into my second trimester for those with multiple babies. I don't know if it was the same for you, Michelle, but like Mm. I blew up so much faster for my second pregnancy than I did for my first. I was bloated. I was uncomfortable. I was retaining water. It was awful. Yeah. And so I thought to myself, well, it'll be a couple of weeks with my feet up in the air. That'll be fine. As we all know, the pandemic has lasted slightly longer than a two little weeks. bit yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, but it did give us the opportunity to go to the 20 week fetal scan all together I was pretty certain that we were going to have a girl we show up Frankie's with us and we find out that it's a little boy we were pretty happy with it yeah so we continue on I'm out of work so I work in childcare. I'm staying home with the kid and doing what we're doing. I'm going for my OB appointments and I'm about 27 weeks at that time. And I go for my regular appointment and she says, your belly is measuring really large. You're measuring like five weeks ahead. Ooh. I'm like, oh, so maybe I'm having a giant baby or yeah. perhaps I have like a lot of amniotic fluid. I have no idea. That's what I could kind of come up with. 
Yeah, so like just to check up on everything, my OB sent me in for a routine ultrasound at 28 weeks. And we figured, oh, cool, we can all go in and see the baby again. We mm-hmm. didn't realize that the COVID protocols had changed at that point. It was right. mid-May. So my daughter and my wife, we all go up to the to the scanning place and they said, oh, sorry, just the patient is allowed to go in and lay in there with my shirt up. And like I said, I'm, I'm a big nerd. And what I do for all of the ultrasounds I've ever had is I try to figure out what it is that we're looking at. And so I'm like, okay, let's see, how much amniotic fluid do I have? And for a routine ultrasound that was supposed to be looking at my amniotic fluid levels, we weren't looking at any of that. We spent the majority of the time looking at his heart. And I knew we were looking at his heart and I didn't know why. And she just kept clicking and zooming in and changing the angles and she got really quiet and we spent 25 minutes looking at his heart and so I get this really tightening feeling in my chest like go we're we're looking at his heart she goes yeah he's just really wiggly and Mm. I can't get the right pictures because they can't tell you anything yeah they're not allowed they're not allowed which I totally understand and I'm like okay but he wasn't wiggly I can feel when he's wiggling okay so I'm, I'm just waiting and then she finishes up she goes okay I'm just gonna go get these pictures verified and then she's gone for another 25 minutes and so I, I felt that something was wrong, but I couldn't tell you what. And she says, all right, you can leave. So I, I leave and it's a lovely spring day and I get to the car and I look at Sam and I said, I think something's wrong with his heart. And she says, well, I mean, if it is, then then they'll call us. Like we can't assume that something's wrong. I ended up getting a call later that evening and they said, we need you to go to your OB tomorrow for an emergency appointment and so I had like almost a full day to ruminate and panic and figure out not even figure out anything but just sit there and stew because in my life I have two people who have had experiences with heart issues my one friend Lindsay her son George has had two transplant heart transplants before the age of four oh my gosh yes um, you like said it and then it just sorry, like, that took a second, a second to sink in. Like two heart transplants before the age of four. That's yes. Insane. And then there's another friend of mine. Um, her son, Bennett, had multiple heart defects that they found in utero. And he lived only briefly after birth. And I think about this little boy yeah. absolutely every day. I never yeah. met him, but I feel like I know him. So I'm sitting at home going, okay, we just spent 25 minutes looking at my son's heart. Yeah. And I have an appointment tomorrow to find out what's going on. This is not good. And no. I'm panicking. Where where does my son sit? I'm assuming at this point something's wrong with his heart, but I don't know what. And because of COVID, I had to go to this appointment alone. Oh, God. So I go to this appointment kind of feeling like I'm walking in to a judgment for a crime that I did not commit. (laughs) I sit down in the, in the office and a new doctor I've never met walks in and she says, "Um, I'm really sorry, but it looks like your son has a rare heart defect called transposition of the great arteries. She says, I'm really sorry. And I didn't want to be that. I didn't want to have that movie stereotypical moment where it feels like the world is spinning around you and you can't yeah. comprehend or hear anything. And so I look at her and I said, okay, what are his chances 
And she says, I don't know. And I said, okay, is it fixable? And she says, I don't know. These things a lot of people don't necessarily have a lot of experience with. Congenital heart defects, there's a lot of them. I think there's 18 different types and they can happen in any combination or permutation. And so it's really hard to say what exactly it means, um, especially when you haven't had an in-depth ultrasound of your baby's heart since the one just random one from the sonographer. And sorry, in that one, they didn't they didn't see any of this. Not at my 20 week anatomy scan. No. Wow. I have come to learn since then. Approximately 50% of heart defects go missed prenatally, if not more. Wow. Only 30 to 50% are actually caught in utero. So there's a lot that's getting missed. Absolutely. That was one of my first questions is how did we not find this earlier? But if you think about, uh, again, this is all my research. Um, (laughs) The size of a baby's heart at the 20-week anatomy scan is slightly larger than your thumbnail. It's tiny. Yeah, that puts it into such a like weird perspective. It does, yeah. Looks um, a lot bigger on the screen. <laughs> it looks, yeah, it looks significantly larger on the screen. So size has a big part to do with it mm-hmm. um, because it's hard. Secondly, there's a few different views that you're supposed to get. First, you get the four chamber view where you can like see all of the chambers of the heart going like whoop, 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 whoop. Yeah. That's pretty easy to see, but you're going to miss a lot of the heart defects that are out there. Most of the heart defects or the critical ones, the ones that are actually going to kill your child, mm-hmm. are ones that have to do with the arteries. And in order to see those, you have to do something called outflow tract views, where you actually see the direction and what's going on with those arteries. The research that I've done, I found one from 2020. What they've been saying is that the biggest barrier to getting all of these diagnosed is sonographer training. So sonographers don't always feel confident in these techniques and looking at the outflow track views. A lot of them don't necessarily have the training to take a look at those views. A lot of them didn't feel confident in the actual defects themselves and being able to be like, this is not correct. A lot of them don't necessarily know why it's important that you look at them. 80% of children with CHD come from low-risk pregnancies. And a lot of people don't necessarily know that it is that common. And the fact that one in 100 children have a heart defect. Oh, wow. Is pretty staggering. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot. Um, It's rare, but it's not uncommon in the least. Yeah. Mm. Like I said, one in 100, if you were to, uh, to have that chance in winning at a lottery, you'd definitely put your name in. Absolutely. Um, 25% of those kids will need surgical intervention to survive. My son is one of those. Um, So for, if you take a look at human heart anatomy, in a normal heart, on the left-hand side, you have this really big vein that goes up and down called your your vena cava. There's a superior and then the inferior. It goes up Mm -hmm. and down. That's basically like your return valve. That's all the blood coming back from your body going back into your heart. Okay. So that gets pushed down into your right ventricle. Your right ventricle is, it's on the left side of the picture, but 
Yeah, Carling is Vanna whiting the picture. I know. For I'm us. like, okay, I see it. I see the right <laughs> ventricle. We will include this in the show notes. Yes. Yeah, so it goes down into the right ventricle because I mean, you're looking at the heart inside the chest, so that's why it looks backwards. Then it goes up into like a T intersection called your pulmonary artery, and that goes out to each lung, which is why it okay. goes out side to side. So it gets oxygen, comes back into your body uh, through the left atrium and left ventricle, and then goes up through an upside down cow udder to your aorta. Okay. That's a and lot then, of work. And then it goes out to your body. That wow. is ha- what happens all the time. That's your circulatory system. And there's more veins and it gets far more complicated, I'm mm. sure. But this is the only thing that I've really done research. For my child, his issue was that his pulmonary and his aorta were switched oh. in the middle of the heart. So for him, oh, wow. his problem, the vena cava, every all the blood returns to his heart and then goes right back out to his body. Oh, oh without that like processing or filtering. It doesn't ever get oxygen. Oh my oh. goodness. Because it can't go to the lungs. Right. So it goes body, heart, body never picking up oxygen the left side of his heart is going heart lungs heart there is no crossover so it's impossible for oxygen to reach his extremities the crazy thing is that fetal heart anatomy is different because when a baby is inside your uterus they are not breathing air Mm -hmm. their lungs are completely deflated they're filled with amniotic fluid the way that babies survive, they get all of, or fetuses, they get all of their oxygen from the placenta. And that's why babies seem completely fine. And they can have all, the, all of these issues without people ever knowing. Because right. they're still functioning completely normally, because their heart and their lungs are not working in tandem just yet. That makes total sense. Because I was like, how is he surviving in utero. In utero, but yeah, that makes sense. So in utero, there is a hole between the atriums called uh, the foramen ovale. So it's a hole with a little flap that's open. And then after okay. birth, once oxygen hits it, this flap shuts. Uh, and then you're back to normal. So that's a bypass that fetuses have to let oxygen go to either side of the heart to get to the extremities. There's also like a little shunt that goes between the pulmonary and the aorta called a ductus arteriosus or a PDA. And there's a little bridge there. And that's another way for oxygen to get to your extremities. Mm -hmm. And that also closes off after birth. God, the body's incredible. I know. Like how do we, yeah, it's a miracle. Yeah. Honestly. It absolutely is. And again, I would have never known this had my son not had a heart defect. I learned that for his specific defect, he has a 96% success rate for surgery and that it is treated with surgical intervention. I was feeling far more optimistic knowing that there's a solid plan in place to make sure that he can survive. Thankfully, at that point, I was still a bit naive to it all, not knowing that there could be more problems. So specifically with the aorta, it's really tiny and it's really hard to see defects with the aorta. Okay. Um, And those ones are often spotted after birth. 
So they said that they were going to do a scan after he was born just to make sure that all of his anatomy was as expected. And so I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And thankfully everything was, but Mm -hmm. I mean, there are people who have their children born, they go for this scan and they find other defects and other problems, which makes Mm -hmm. it far more complicated. But it made for a very detailed birth plan and a lot of hospital appointments to make sure that his anatomy had not changed within that period of time. I mean, the bigger the baby gets, the harder it is to see these defects, actually, because bone density changes, their bones get harder, and it creates bigger shadows on all of the ultrasounds. So they planned an induction for me. My daughter went to go live with my sister for this duration of time. They went camping. She was having the time of her life. She actually didn't want to come home. (laughs) We show up. Eventually, this is July 31st. Thankfully, my wife is able to come. We show up to the hospital. I have the stress test done and everything's ready to go. And they say, oh, we're not sure if the hospital's going to be able to take you today. We're waiting to hear back. We waited for four hours. They come back and they say, okay, well, we're going to start your induction. And I know, Michelle, that you've been induced. That is quite a pleasant experience. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Done that three times. (laughs) Awful. It's awful. It's awful. Thankfully, my body is really good at getting messages. Oh, good. Mine's um, not. <laughs> yeah, Michelle just misses all the messages. What was the like? What was the prognosis for like if he can't get oxygen to his blood on his own? What was the process for like from his first breath on? Okay, so I was a part of a study with the University of Alberta. They were testing to see if the foramen ovale would stay open after he's born. So it can take. Like it can shut right away when they're born or it can take a few days, which is normal. According to all of the testing that I had done, it was likely that it was going to stay open. However, 66% of children with this condition need something called a balloon atrial septostomy, where they have to race a catheter inside of the heart between the atriums so that it stays open and oxygen can travel in between. Right after he was born, they also had to put him on prostaglandin, which is a naturally occurring thing that your body makes. And that's what keeps the ductus open. So between the the pulmonary and the aorta, and that keeps that that passageway open so that air can continue or oxygen can continue to get to his extremities. So that was the game plan was to keep those two pieces of fetal heart anatomy open after he was born. Wow. Labor was okay. I have this really weird thing with my body where I, when I get my epidural, it only works on the left side of my body. Oh, fun. He was obviously monitored quite steadily. And my delivery room was attached to its own special NICU room, like emergency NICU room. So the fanciest of delivery rooms. It was time to push. I'm like, okay, I can feel it. I can feel it this time with my daughter. I couldn't, I was far too numb. Okay. And they said, oh, well, the the doctor is currently catching another baby right now. So you're just going to have to hold it. Oh, cross your legs. (laughs) My wife is trying to cheer me up and she tells, cracks some sort of joke and I start laughing and I'm like, nope, you can't make me laugh. If I laugh, he's going to come flying right up. So we end up waiting the five minutes the doctor comes in she's like all right let's get this started is Nikki ready and Nikki pops their head in the room and they go we need five minutes and I'm like oh okay everyone needs to get on the same time and then once it was time to push he was out within 15 minutes wow is that fast yes that's fast well that's fast for 
me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess I hear about people pushing for hours. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not been my experience. I mean, it was a big part of why I had the baby. My wife has, her family has very large heads and my wife, <laughs> my family makes notoriously small babies. So that was I mean, a smart decision. Yeah, <laughs> We thought so. So as soon as he was born, I knew that I wasn't going to get a lot of time with him. He needed to be transported to the children's hospital across the river um, because there's not really a delivery ward at the children's hospital. So as soon as he came out, I sat up and I watched him while they held him and waited for his umbilical cord to stop pulsating. They clipped the cord and then they took him to the other room. He was completely silent. He did not cry. He just, I have this video of him that my wife took because I had nothing. I was like, please take my phone and take as many pictures and videos as you can. Um, so she did. And he's just fighting to breathe the entire Aww. time. And they said, be prepared that your baby may come out blue. I was like, oh, look at how pink he was. But I had nothing to really compare it to. Right, um, right. So when I compare his pictures of birth to now, he's definitely blue. So they spent about an hour hooking him up. I'm in the other room getting stitched up and doing all of that other post-delivery stuff. And then the next time I see him, like I said, about an hour later, he's in his transport box. He's <laughs> He looked really cute. Um, Aww. They roll him in beside me and they're like, okay, we're going to get ready. And I'm just like staring at him. I'm, I felt like I needed permission to touch my own child. Mm -hmm. He didn't feel like he was mine. I'm trusting all these people to take care of him. And I think yeah. I just didn't connect still that he, he was my kid. I, I was having this inner dialogue while they're talking. I have no idea what they were saying. And then I'm like, yeah, of course you can touch him. He's your kid. <laughs> so I give him a little rub on the head and then they transported him to the hospital. And you could, you couldn't go with him, I guess, right? Cause you I could not. And what about your wife? Was she able to go with him? Yeah. So she wasn't allowed to go in the ambulance with him, but she drove the car. Uh, mm. So our day started at eight in the morning. He arrived at 10.22 in the evening, and he was transported at 11.30 at night. They made it across the river. Sam stopped for a bite to eat and then raced into the NICU. Like, to the surprise of all of the, all of the nurses, they're like, oh my gosh, are you okay? And she's like, yeah, why? I've never seen a mother get here this quickly. <laughs> and she's like what are you oh yeah oh, no I'm great I can do all of these high <laughs> oh, kicks that's hilarious <laughs> look at these squats I'm doing great <laughs> but then as soon as they put him onto his NICU table his oxygen saturation plummeted thankfully because we had the diagnosis in utero they knew what was wrong and they, right inside the NICU room, there were probably 15 different people all in there. And they had to perform an emergency balloon septostomy to keep him alive. So they medically paralyzed him and sedated him. And Sam said it took three very violent pulls to finally get that foramen ovale open. Enough for him to have oxygen to his extremities. Your wife watched it? Yeah. Oh, oh my God. And did she tell you right away or was she sort of like, everything's great. Just focus on you. We were texting constantly back and forth. Uh, she's like, yeah, he's doing okay. His O2 is still dropping. I'm like, okay. And she goes, he's having a hard time. And so I just texted back balloon septostomy and she said, yeah. And she sent a picture 
to me of just like it's it's not a clear picture at all and it's just blue masks flying about the room such a heartbreaking thing to watch yeah knowing that your child is struggling i mean within three hours of birth he had already had his first major surgical intervention so then the next part was just waiting for his surgical date and we showed up the next day i think that night we both got to bed at about three in the morning and i couldn't sleep she couldn't sleep and they thankfully the hospital discharged me quite early i was gonna say were you still there and i said i need to i would like to be there for rounds tomorrow and they said normally we don't let people go this early but we understand what's going on so they discharged me at something like eight in the morning Sam came and picked me up and we raced over to the kids hospital and we're there to write our notes for the next day. So he wasn't allowed to eat anything for until his surgery. He had his surgery at seven days of life. So how did he live? Like what, what did they sustain him on? Uh, They give IV nutrition. He wasn't eating to grow. He was eating to survive and it wasn't even eating, eating. It was just like, this is going into your veins. Yeah. Yeah. We were all, we were very ecstatic when they allowed him to eat five mils every three hours. So that's a teaspoon. And so you obviously weren't able to hold him or anything. Uh, we didn't hold him until the second day. So the, okay. we were able to hold him. It took a team of two nurses to move all of his lines and wires so that yeah. We could hold him safely without pulling on anything. Day six, we were going to have surgery, um, but he had spiked a fever overnight. And so the surgical team said, well, if if it's a bacterial infection, that's going to increase his risk five times. So we're not going to do it today. So it was pushed back another day. Day seven arrives and the surgeon comes in and we have to sign all the waivers and stuff. And he says, okay, so surgery. We are going to do surgery on your son's heart. It is the size of a walnut. And they say, moving the arteries. So what they do is they cut the arteries and they switch them into the correct position. They said, this is relatively easy. The hard part of this is moving the coronary arteries to their new position. The coronaries are the size of the tip of a ballpoint pen. Oh, Oh wow. Honestly, you don't even think about the size of it. Like the fact that they're doing surgery on something the size of a walnut is just incredible. Yeah. He said, uh, it's think of it kind of like a garden hose. The coronary arteries provide blood to the heart to keep it alive. Mm-hmm. So think of it like a garden hose. We need to make sure that we're moving it to its new position carefully. We can't move it too quickly and stretch it. We can't. We have to make sure that it's not kinked that it's open and we take the time that it needs. And then the anesthetist comes in and she says, okay, do you have any questions? Like, no, I think we're okay. And she says, so some people wonder about cognitive delays. There can be. It's not uncommon for children who have heart surgery to need more assistance in school. And I'm like, yeah, we're going to do whatever we can. This whole time, so incredibly grateful to live in a country with free healthcare. Yeah, uh, 100%. So it's time for him to go for surgery. And they they come in, they're all gowned up, wearing their big yellow gowns that go all the way down to the floor. And they say, okay, say your good nights. And, you know, it's it's I understand why they phrase it that way. Huh. It does not feel like a good night. At this point, like, we hadn't given our son a kiss because we had to be masked the whole time. We've only just held him. And I give him a little rub on the head. We gave forehead kisses. So like we touched our foreheads together. And then they rolled him away. So we had to go over to the 
the PCICU, so the cardiac care unit, and you get one of those little round vibrating things like you get at the Olive Garden when you're waiting yes. for your tables. <laughs> and they're like, okay, Except we'll this, buzz you. this place you don't get free breadsticks. <laughs> no, you don't get any snacks. Not cool. <laughs> Worst restaurant ever. <laughs> And uh, yeah, so we waited and they they told us ahead of time, like, typically this takes four to six hours. Um, if it goes longer, don't assume that something is wrong. It's going to take however long it needs to take. So we're waiting and this, I mean, these rooms are way nicer. They have like a little vibrating massaging chair in our room and Sam and I are like, can we take this back with us to the NICU? <laughs> we're trying to lay down and have a nap. And as I'm trying to nap, waiting for this to end, all I can think about is my garden. So I have like a million pumpkins. Oh. I I love I have a giant garden. I have so many pumpkins. And one of my favorite things to do is to grow a large pumpkin. One year we got it up to 70 pounds. Oh my gosh. It was a big pumpkin. And so <laughs> I was hastily trimming up my plant earlier that year. And I accidentally snipped the main artery of my big pumpkin and oh, killed God. the entire plant. And so oh, all no. I'm picturing while this surgery is happening is me with my giant garden shears oh, snipping God. away at this pumpkin. And I'm like, okay, Amy, you are not a cardiac surgeon. <laughs> <laughs> this is why they don't ask parents to do this surgery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, could you imagine? That'd be <laughs> the worst um yeah so I'm like don't panic everything is fine and then somebody pokes their head in about four hours later and they say okay they're gonna roll them up you need to leave the room okay because they need to make sure that they have all of his medications and everything set up they have to stabilize him inside the room before you're allowed to come in what you don't realize is that they in order to do this surgery first off he had to be put on a heart lung machine so completely bypassing his heart To keep the heart tissue healthy during this time, they have to cool the human body to 24 degrees Celsius, which is 75 Fahrenheit for anybody who's listening who does Fahrenheit. Um, That's below hypothermic. And so he's, they need to make sure that they can warm him slowly enough so that he's okay. So my wife and I are waiting in the hallway. All of the waiting areas are closed because COVID. Right, so yeah. you're just sitting on a random couch in the middle of a hallway that everybody walks by. The elevator doors open and we see his surgeon and his bed and his anesthetist. And they're like, they're rolling him out and they see us. And I said, do you want to come say hi? Sam gets up and she runs and she's like so excited to go see him and I'm filled with just a little bit of dread I'm I'm scared like it's I mean I've seen what children look like after heart surgery because of my friends and I know that it's not going to be pretty yeah but I at least know what to prepare myself for visually and I see him and I like I said I just give him a little rub on the head I'm like okay and then they spend another hour about that stabilizing him His surgeon comes out and says, he did great. We're expecting really great results. His anatomy was approximately the same size, but they said everything went really well and that he's doing great, that they had to watch out for like bleeding and all these other things, but that it looked like he was doing well. And finally we were called to go in 
and he's laying on this very fluffy bag pillow thing that they heating it with a heater hot air is being blown into this pillow to help raise his body temperature i'm like that looks really comfortable i wish i had one of those (laughs) so they they go through and they're they're walking through like this is this medication and this medication and this line is for the pacemaker that's here we're measuring his temperature here and there's this and the list of things keeping him alive seemed absolutely endless and I knew what to expect visually, but I did not expect to go through that huge long list of ex- of all of these things, the beeps, the boops, everything. Yeah. And I, I just felt sick. I felt very overwhelmed. And so I pulled up a chair and I sat down beside him and I finally looked up at him. I took like a really good look at him. And that's when I noticed that he was pink, like noticeably pink, the pinkest that I had ever seen him. And I knew that we just had to make it through recovery in order to get out that he was already so much better and we just had to wait for his body to heal enough so we could go home and then what was what was post-care like like were you just always on edge or always scared that something else would happen or did you I don't know like did you get to relax knowing he was okay it all happened really quickly actually two days after his surgery he was on nutrition food and infant Tylenol that was it it took him a little while to wean off of oxygen after eight days we were sent home um he did amazingly well cardiac babies are known for having issues eating my son does not have an issue with that they wanted him (laughs) to eat 450 mils a day and he was eating 750 when we got home oh my gosh (laughs) Wow! after that it was over a liter of uh, over a liter a day wow so he has surpassed all of my expectations and more kidding he's a healthy little little guy yeah he's a year old and 23 pounds wow (laughs) and what does frankie think about him she absolutely adores him um and has this overwhelming responsibility to keep him safe even like this morning we're eating breakfast and Artie's doing something and she goes I just love my baby brother oh that's so sweet yeah I have to say I love that they are going to be like old in the retirement home and they're going to be named like Fran and Artie yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) or like Fran and Art yes (laughs) so adorable yeah what's, what's really funny is that all of the nurses they looked at him they looked at his diagnosis and they said, did you name him Artie because of his arteries? Right. That's so funny. I just thought of that. <laughs> and I was like, hilarious. no, we named him that before we found out about his broken heart. But it Aww. turns out that, uh, you know, he really took his name to heart. No kidding. Oh, oh wow. So what is what is like follow up like with for him? Does he need to be followed closely or is he just a you know, typical little guy now because he's all healed up? Um, So the thing is with CHD is that there is no cure. There is repairs, but there's no cure. For him specifically with his condition, he should have minor complications if he has them. He is followed up annually with a cardiologist that he will go to for the rest of his life. Right now he has minor 
narrowing of his pulmonary artery because they had to stretch it to its new position. So that's expected, but still something to be aware of. But for now, he's a he's a healthy baby boy. That's not to say that it will always be the case. You know, healthy diet with low salt. His his biggest complication is going to be with heart pressure, I think, with mm, like mm-hmm. blood pressure and making sure that his main arteries remain open and unobstructed. Whereas other people, it's going to be more circulatory or... I didn't realize was that all of this technology to keep these people alive with congenital heart disease is relatively new. It's only like 35 years. Before then, prognosis was slim. Mm -hmm. But in the 80s is when things finally started becoming successful. Mm -hmm. So even now, we don't know what the long-term impacts are for people who have CHD because nobody's reached that age yet. And I mean, even on top of that, like making sure that people know that transplant is important, right? Being a a transplant donor is a great thing to do, obviously. You are six times more likely to need a transplant than you are to actually be a donor. Oh, wow. And then only one to two percent of people who die can actually be considered for organ donation. But mostly you can like the tissues can be used. So people agree with these things, but nobody's actually doing much about it. Transplant gets 90% support from the public. Yeah, it's great, but only 32% of people have registered to be organ donors. Oh my goodness. Everyone needs to get on it. I mean, a lot of people, I think, until it happens to you, you don't realize how important it is. The only Mm -hmm. thing that's holding back research in transplant and all of this other stuff is the availability of donors. Right. Mm -hmm. More people would be surviving these things if we had more donors. People are dying all the time, but you don't have to take these organs to the grave. What are you going to be doing with them? Yeah, it's so true. When you look at the scale of the amount of people who are dying, it should be a lot. The percentage should be a lot higher. I just say, like, take whatever is usable and then donate everything else to science and yeah. then just burn the rest. That's, like, my <laughs> philosophy. Like, so I don't take up space on this earth. Like, just I am yeah. with you. I'm not that yeah. important. I don't need a spot to live forever. Just yeah. throw me somewhere where I can decompose <laughs> and cause the least harm possible. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's that's a wild story. And it's something that, yeah, I don't think enough people know about, like, mm. until you're going through it. Yeah, I think the other thing that people need to know is that kids get sent home with undiagnosed heart problems all the time, much like my friend Lindsay. And it's really important to notice and to know what to look for for a heart problem. So um, there's this charity that I really love in the UK called Tiny Tickers. And I wish that they were here. They are fantastic. And so they do. Cutest name ever. Isn't it adorable? (laughs) Um, They work on educating sonographers in how to detect CHD so that more kids are caught prenatally um, because up to 80% of heart defects can be caught prenatally, but they just aren't. So there's a, like I said, a huge gap and more definitely needs to be done. But knowing the symptoms to look for, so they use the acronym HEART. So they say like, be aware of your child's heart rate. Is it faster or slower than it should be? Are they really lethargic? So energy. Um, If your child is really lethargic and doesn't want to move and tired and sleepy all the time, that's something to look for. Appearance. Are they like grayish or blue or waxy, pale? How is their breathing, their respiratory system, and then their temperatures? So kids with heart problems often have cold hands and feet all the time. Being aware that these are things to look for may save a life. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You don't, having a child is one thing. Having a child stay alive at home is another thing. I think that's amazing that um, we can share that information for people because as a, as a first time parent or even a fifth time, sixth time parent, you're so worried about your child and you forget things that, you know, maybe you learned previously. I had never learned anything about that, like the heart thing. Um, And there are so many cases of people who find out their children have heart um, defects or conditions after, you know, either it's too late or it's, yeah, it's a scary time. And I learned that three of my children have a heart, you know, condition as well. Thankfully it is not severe and it can be, they can, you know, live healthy lives, but, but they only noticed it because your youngest had a heart murmur. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that was the thing that caused them to test all your kids. Right. And so my oldest at the time was seven or eight. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, we didn't find out that he had it until that age. So yeah. Wow. Thank you so much for telling us a little Artie's story. And for educating us. Yeah. Thank you for listening to all of my very nerdy rambles. No, <laughs> no that's great. great. I love that. Awesome. Well, we'll let you get back with your day and your kiddos and wife, but uh, enjoy the rest of your week and we'll talk to you soon. Sounds great. Thanks guys. Thank okay, you. Bye. bye. Toodles. Bye. <laughs> Hey, Carly. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Amy, thank you so stinking much. Thank you so much. I, we were educated. I love how nerdy you we are. We know everything about, about the heart now. Yeah. It's Including amazing. that inferior. I know. Inferior and superior artery? artery? Oh, I can't God, remember. No, I don't know. God. Okay, well, never anyway. mind. Don't quiz us. I Yeah, it's really fascinating. It is. Yeah. I think it is so cool how she got that news and was just like, you know what? I'm going to figure this out. Yeah. I'm going to do all the research and I am going to know what my child needs. Yeah. And she's incredible. And her whole little family is just amazing. And we're so happy that we got to chat. Yeah. So we'll put a link to like her Instagram and um, some of the organizations that she supports, mm-hmm. like Tiny Tickers. Cutest thing Come ever. Come on. Uh, in the show notes. So check them out. Let us know what you think. Yeah. And uh, we, uh, I just want to say that some people who have ordered their notebooks have already gotten them. Yeah. It's so fast. I did pre-orders cause I was like nervous that it was going to take a while, yeah. but, uh, now it's just like regular orders. So just like order and you'll get it. Yeah. So crazy. if you don't know what's going on and we'll just catch you up. How dare the, you? Uh, first of all, how dare you? <laughs> but moving on, mm-hmm. we'll forgive you. Uh, Michelle designed some super cute notebooks mm-hmm. that say, like, share your story. I did not sign up for this. Um, yeah. If you like animals, there's a paw print one. <laughs> if you like rainbows and or are gay, <laughs> there's a rainbow one. There's like one for everybody. Yeah. And yeah, they're just basic notebooks, but I think it's funny to like have a notebook where you can either like write down the things you didn't sign up for or like a grocery list or whatever you need yeah. a notebook for. I just and take mine to my work meetings. Yeah. So many people have laughed about it. They're like, oh, haha, that's such a funny notebook. That's so true. You're in a meeting. You're like, I did not sign up to be in this meeting. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they're coming already and we're going to have some collabs coming up yeah. with notebooks and uh charities and things like that so i'm super excited and we will yeah keep an eye out for that yeah and don't forget to follow us on all of the things Mm -hmm. at i did not sign up for this 
we're making TikToks. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Patreon. Mm-hmm. Ooh, we've got some really cool things coming up on the Patreon. Yes, we do. We have this guy that we're interviewing in England, and he is a magician and mind reader. And his job is, like, companies hire him to, like, break into their buildings. Security Security, systems. all this stuff. Uh, to show them their weaknesses. That's so cool. And so we're going to interview him on the Patreon just because, I don't know, anything goes on the Patreon. Absolutely. So you can sign up for as little as $5 a month and you get instant access to over, I feel like it's over 35 episodes, yeah. 37 yeah. episodes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they're, the stories are all over the place. And we also just recently joined, is it called Buy Me a Coffee? Buy Me a Coffee, yeah. And so it's um, it's sort of like, I don't know, a middle level. If you're like, I just love this and I want to support these girls, you can go and make like a like a $2 donation, which is like to buy us a coffee. The theme. <laughs> yeah. um, or you can also sign up for extras. So if you want a personalized video from us, you can do it there. If you want us to write you a letter, which Michelle would write because she has nice handwriting <laughs> and I do not. And Or if you want to have like virtual coffee with us, you can also book that there as well. So, so cool. Just another way to support us and to, uh, yes, just so we can keep doing what we're doing yeah. and doing what we love and do it and give you all the content. Yeah. So check it out. All the links are in our Instagram or on our website. And I don't know. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Thanks for yeah. all the support. Yeah. All right, we're I'm we have to stop because I'm so eager to open this letter from <gasps> Jordan. Yay! Okay, All right, guys, have it. a great day. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.